some of you have already started working through the book of Micah, uh, using the set of studies that we recommended, whether that's in your small groups or in your private study. I know not everyone's gotten around to it, uh, but those resources are there for you if and when you choose to avail yourselves of them. But uh, even if you've been with us just in the morning services for the last couple of weeks, uh, you would have heard the first two talks from this series in, in Micah, or you can look them up on our, our website and have a listen at your own convenience. But I wonder for those of you who have been with us and started looking into what this prophet Micah wrote all those years ago, what are your impressions of this book so far? It is admittedly addressed to a people who were a long, long time away from where we are today, in a very different part of the world under very different circumstances. And so I understand if you're feeling like their context and yours are so far apart, it's hard to take on board any of what's written here. The struggle, I think that is the struggle when you look at anything this old. But what's that quote about history? Those who, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So they say, no, those who, those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Because if you're unwilling to look and learn from the mistakes of yesterday, there's a very good chance you're heading for that same disaster tomorrow that plenty of people have before you that have gone and done it. And what's the Apostle saying in Corinthians, specifically about the history of Israel? You might remember uh, the history of Israel and everything had been through. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11 says this, These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil as they did. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to everyone. My other reflection is that irrespective of human historical context, this book shows us something amazing about this timeless character of God and things that are close to his heart. And so can I encourage you as we um, dive in again this morning to keep your ears tuned and engage your mind and, and do the work of understanding what this part of the Bible, this passage in Micah, might have to say, that it might be for your benefit, and that even after all these centuries, God might be speaking. Uh, can I pray for us to that end? Let's, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us understand your word, and not just understanding cognitively what it says, but, and, and how, to, how the passage fits together, but help us to understand what it might have to say to us. Do that work by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin by paying attention to who this was written to. This chapter, as you would have heard when it was read for us uh, just before, is particularly pointing the finger at the leaders in Israel and the prophets in Israel. Two groups of, of leaders, I suppose, with different kinds of authority. On the one hand, you have the, the civic leaders, those in positions of legitimate power. So we're talking the governors, the judges, the heads of families, the kings, people with that kind of influence in the society at the time. The kinds of people who you'd go to if you were in trouble, the kind of people you'd go to if you needed help. They're people whose job it is to be responsible and to fix things and to keep order and make good decisions for the health and prosperity of the community. 
I imagine the modern equivalents would be those holding office in any level of government. Uh, people like our judges, people like the Inspector General of our police, maybe even people like the principals in our schools or the chief of medicines in our big hospitals, those significant leaders with significant communities underneath them. On the other hand, the chapter is also addressed, you would have seen, to the religious leaders of Israel. So not the kings and the governors, but to these prophets. Those whose role it is to reveal the will of God and to speak God's words so that his mind and his will is known to the wider community. The prophet of God is the one who's in touch with the divine. They're the miracle workers. They're the ones you go to for answers when there are no answers. And the problem in Micah chapter 3 is that the leaders and the prophets, all of them in Israel, are abusing the powers that God's given to them, the, the positions that they're in and the authority that they hold. They're abusing those things. Look at verse 1. And the powerful image there of feasting. Micah 3 verse 1. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones into pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. I don't think they're literally cannibalizing their own people. They're not cooking them to eat. This metaphor is one where these leaders are gorging themselves, ripping into the skin and the flesh of their own people as if they were a meal. It's a pretty powerful picture. These leaders are making themselves fat at the expense of the people who they're devouring, people they're meant to be caring for. Maybe this is something to do with um, the same thing that was mentioned at the start of Ch uh, Micah chapter 2. So if you... Just flick your eyes across to Micah 2, verse 1. Woe to those who plan iniquity, those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, houses, and they take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Maybe somehow they're finding ways to gain the property and the inheritance of others taking it because they have the power to do so. So the rich get rich and the poor perish. Now when the powers that be abuse their power, who's going to stop them? If the police are corrupt and the whole system is dodgy, what hope does the little guy have? And God's question to these leaders through the prophet is, shouldn't you have upheld justice? Verse 1, but no, they hate what is good. They love what is evil. They love satisfying themselves at the expense of others, treating people like meat for their belly. As for the prophets, verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5, this is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare war prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. And here are supposed holy men and women who you know, the community trusts, the community comes to them for guidance, and they're turning spirituality into some sort of industry where they're scamming people, 
to make a tidy profit. These prophets, they know that people listen to them because what they say is supposedly from the mouth of God. Now, these prophets seem to have zero interest in what God actually says. They're much more interested in what they can extort out of the people coming to see them. If you treat the prophet well, if you grease their palms, you slip them a 50 and put food in their mouth, then they'll pronounce a blessing on you and yours. But if they don't get what they want, watch out. They'll curse you to high heaven, on behalf of God, of course. They're just making up whatever they want, abusing the privilege position as the gatekeepers of all things holy to make a living. Now, are you still with me? If for, if for whatever reason I've lost your attention, there's a nice summary so far of the situation in Israel in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, you who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Verse 11 continues, Yet they will look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord amongst us? No disaster will overtake us. They think God's still with them, these leaders and these prophets. Because they're Israel, they're the people of God. Of course God's with us. Now, they're either total hypocrites when they claim to be God's people and they act this way, or if we give them the benefit of the doubt, Maybe just like all of us, they really do have a massive blind spot when it comes to seeing their own contribution to evil. Maybe they really just don't see what they're doing. We can be like that. My daughter Evie is like that all the time. She's what, four and a half? Sweetest kid you can imagine, except when she's not. The other day we were at home, uh, we were playing, and she was pretending to be some sort of animal she does that sometimes she pretends to be a kitten or sometimes she'll pretend to be some other creature and uh, I was there on the floor playing with her and I noticed she was pretending to be some sort of uh, creature that bites she was snapping at things imagining pretending she was crawling around crawling closer to me and so I looked her dead in the eye and I said to her straight to her face I said calmly Evie don't bite daddy (laughs) and what does she do Of course, she pounces on me, she sinks her teeth into my shoulder, and man, she has a set of jaws on her. I didn't realize how strong she was. It's been cold lately, right? So I'm wearing a shirt, I've got a jacket on, but she chomped down so hard that her skin, her teeth broke my skin through the jacket and the shirt, and I was bleeding a little bit. I was not happy, partly because it hurt, but mainly because she was being openly defiant. I said to her, don't bite daddy. That's a good rule. And so I felt wronged on multiple levels. So I raised my voice to her, I told her off. Now, Evie's a sensitive soul, if you've had the time with her. She, as soon as volume gets high, she can tell I'm upset at her, and she gets really upset because I'm upset. But it also seems that in that moment, she has zero awareness of her contribution to the situation. She doesn't see it. Her focus is purely on just wanting me not to be upset anymore because it seems like I'm the one in the wrong. I'm the one upset at her. That's what four-year-olds are like. But not just four-year-olds. Plenty of adults 
aren't always logical or consistent. We walk around with our own blind spots when it comes to our own destructive contributions to situations that we find ourselves in. We don't and we can't see that what we're doing is part of the problem. Because it can't possibly be me who's at fault here. That's never a thing, is it? Where the rubber hits the road is that God hates the abuse of power like this. And how this chapter sort of ends is that he will bring an end to these injustices by his act of judgment. You see the consequences there for what these leaders and these prophets have done. Verse 4. Then these rulers will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. And then down in verse 6, that these prophets, therefore night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. Their seers will be ashamed. The divine is disgraced. They'll all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. As for me, says Micah, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to declare to Israel his sin. And finally, down in verse 12, the last verse of this chapter, this is the verdict. The Lord says, Because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will be a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. The city, Jerusalem, and its beautiful temple, these leaders... These leaders and these priests have built for themselves this kingdom through wickedness and it will be destroyed. And it does get destroyed. Pretty soon after this is written, the army of the Babylonians who God brings as the executioner of his judgment, they come through and they wreck the place. Now as for those prophets who weren't actually bringing words from God, fittingly, kind of ironically, God says, you didn't value my word, you will never hear from me again. You built this city on wickedness, I will tear it down. And that is Micah chapter 3. What you get is a sense that justice is close to the heart of God. In Micah, you see a God who cares and who acts to expose injustice what it is. And the question is, just as we read it on this side of the world in this century, is it naive to expect justice in our experience of our world? We're cushioned from the worst of it, I suspect, in a country like Australia, but even here, this isn't God's own country, however comfortable many of us are. What we do know is that since the coming of Jesus, The kingdom of God has been breaking into the kingdom of this world. That's one of the things that Jesus kept on saying all through the gospel accounts. Time and time again, he would say, the kingdom of God is near and has now come. And so with Jesus and with those of us who have the spirit of God working in us, what we ought to be seeing in the church and through Christian people are the outworkings of a new way, an overturning of injustice, and a growing of places where righteousness and grace are normal. We, the church, should be at the cutting edge of asking and answering questions like, you know, so what is our responsibility to the aliens and strangers seeking refugee status in our country? 
I'm so glad that yesterday we were able to host that training day for Sydney Refugee Team. What does justice look like there? Now, there has to be a humility that comes with, comes with understanding that there are some really complicated situations in our society and in our world that while they demand justice, we may not have a clue what the best outcome might even be, let alone have the power to make it happen. God will bring about his justice. And in many situations, he is the only one he can. And we need to be patient. But even on a personal level, in your sphere of influence, however big or small that is, I think this passage speaks to us. Those of us who are in positions of leadership and responsibility, we're meant to do what is right by the people that we lead, the families that we uh, have authority over. To serve, not to be served, certainly not to exploit. Those of us who know God's word should share it freely and honestly as someone who knows God's word should. And in all of this, maybe because John's just come back from his holiday to Tajikistan, in all of this, Jeff and Beth Dillon have been on my mind as examples of people who live this out. We prayed for them earlier. They're um, workers who've come out from us uh, to serve in Central Asia. They're running a farm out there. Followers of Jesus who have a passion for justice, who love what is good and hate what is evil. It's the opposite of what's been condemned here. I read this chapter in Micah and I think of Jeff and Beth running their farm in Central Asia in an area full of corruption. From what John describes and what Jeff has told us time and time again, the police and the officials are all running on bribes. Where your average Joe has grown up with the injustice that's just a normal part of life in the current order of things. What are you going to do about it? Until you walk onto Jeff and Beth's property where things are tangibly different. Where you might not be able to put your finger on it right away, but you feel safe. And here's someone you can trust and who will do you good and who, as it turns out, knows the Lord and is willing to share. I wonder if people walking into our lives, into our corporate life together as a church, would feel that way where they might be refreshed by our commitment to justice and the good of the other, patterned after the heart of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.